Shadow Time, Noun A parallel time scale that follows one around throughout day-to-day -day experience of regular time. Shadow Time manifests as a feeling of living in two distinctly different temporal scales simultaneously, or acute consciousness of the possibility that the near future will be drastically different than the present. Gordon Mata Clark died young, and he died in an amazing way. Gordon was a good friend of mine, and he was a sculptor. One of his most well-known works was called Splitting, in which he sought a suburban house in half. He was a minimalist, and there was a lot of advanced theory about why he cut houses in half, although none of the theories talked about his parents' divorce, or what happened one day when his twin brother jumped to his death out of Gordon's window. When Gordon got sick, he decided to make his death very social, and so he invited his friends to come to the hospital, and he had only 24 hours left to live the length of time that his system was breaking down. And he decided to spend this time reading to his friends. And when he died, there were two llamas on either side of him. And when he stopped breathing, they began shouting into his ear. Now the Tibetans believe that hearing is the last sense to go. So after the heart stops and your brain flatlines, and the eyes go dark. The hammers in the ears are still working, and so they shout instructions from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, also called the Great Liberation Through Hearing, and they yelled, Gordon, you're dead. You're dead now. And then they say, you see two lights, and one is near you and one is far away, and don't go to the near one, go to the one that's far away, and so on and so on. I've seen three ghosts in my life now, and the first was Gordon. A few hours after he died, he appeared on the back porch of the commune I was living in. Every love story is a ghost story. The ghost story. The ghost story. Said David Foster Wallace.
listening to Shadow Time on BFF.FM. I'm Lily Sloan, and this is the final installment of this month's Halloween specials. Um, You just heard Ghost of Love by David Lynch. And before that was a favorite of mine, Three Ghosts by Laurie Anderson from Heart of a Dog. I'm so excited today to share with you some ghost stories that were submitted to me and to a friend of the show, Evan Roberts, who generously helped me gather these stories. Whether or not you believe in ghosts or will find any of these stories credible, I think it's just really interesting how many people have experienced ghosts or think they have and are trying to process what that means, especially if it's not something they ever believed in before. And I'm, I'm really curious about the significance of haunting and of, of ghosts in our own psyches. So I don't think today's show is insanely scary, but it might be creepy, spooky, a bit scary if you are uncomfortable with ghost stories. So just giving you a heads up. And with that said, here is the first submission from Brian Villalobos. Sorry for the car. This, uh, believe it or not, this 
was uh, driving to, to Dallas at five in the morning, and this happened to be the most opportune time to do this. So. Years back, I worked at a newspaper, and I was doing a story. I was assigned to do a story on this family of local ghost hunters. It was in San Antonio. That was one of their businesses. They were ghost hunters. They would go to places, set up cameras, set up uh, audio recording devices, and kind of stake the place out and spend the night there and leave the next morning, and then they would process their evidence. I was like, okay, and I went and talked to them. They're very kind people and fun to talk to. I was like, how did you get into this? And they're like, well, we've lived in haunted houses all our lives. And this is what it's part of, been part of our lives. It's what we do. I was like, are you guys going to, to go on a ghost hunt anytime soon? And they were like, actually, yeah, this, uh, this next week, like in a few days, they were going to go and check out this haunted, it was a bistro. It would, maybe it was just a restaurant now or something, but it, was, it used to be a theater and used to be a church. And I was like, well, great, can I come along? They're like, sure. So I, I go back to the office and I'm, I'm kind of doing research and I call the proprietor. And I was like, hey, I'm going to be there with these ghost hunters. Apparently this place is haunted. Is that true? And without missing a beat, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got three ghosts. The little boy who kind of messes messes with me when I'm just going around doing my rounds and I'll be in the kitchen and I'll go into the walk-in freezer and he'll shut me up in there or I'll be in the kitchen and I'll turn around and he'll have opened all the cupboards and then they said there was like an older man who used to be a custodian or a janitor and they said there was a woman in the place that used to be the theater there was a stage there you could look up and in the balcony, they would see her. She was used to be an actress, and she, you could see her in the in the balcony. So I was like, okay, all right, uh, cool, and uh, thanks for those stories, and I'll, I'll be there soon. So I, I go, and I, um, I meet the family, and it's like, I want to say midnight, and all the other people in the office are giving me crap out of there. Like, oh, you're going there, you're ghost hunting? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go, and it's midnight, and I meet them, and it's, like I want to say four or five people and we go in and they kind of give me the rundown they're like well we're going to go sit first and like in the in the kind of main area where a lot of the hauntings happen in the stage where there's the stage and the balcony and we're going to ask for something to make contact and I was like okay I was like <laughs> I was raised Catholic and I was like oh okay all right here we go And so we go and we're seated and this place is now a dining area and um, they turn off all the lights in the whole place and we're there and there's like a caretaker guy who's there with us to make sure we don't mess stuff up, I guess. And I'm sitting there at the table, at one of the tables with the matriarch of the ghost hunting family and she's about to do the thing and I go, hey, so what are we, what are we looking for? Like smell, what are we looking for as evidence? And she's like, yeah, like, like smells like perfume or or any sort of sounds or lights or unusual thing. I was like, okay. So we're sitting there and she, she kind of goes, hey, if there's anything out there that wants to make contact, please do so now. And almost immediately, like almost as soon 
as she finished saying those words, I smelled something. I smelled this like florid, flowery, synthetic smell that smelled very much, smelled kind of chemical, smelled like a perfume, smelled like a, a, a synthetic man-made fragrance, like immediately. Like she said that and I smelled it. And it wasn't there a second before. And I just, I sat there and was like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm the reporter, I'm supposed to be the skeptic, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's just no denying it. There is a smell hanging in the air that was not there several seconds before. And I just kind of was like, like sighed and was like, um, hey, Elvia, that was your name. Are you, are you wearing perfume? And she's like, no, no, we wouldn't. I, I can't. I, like, I don't, we don't do that because of, it can be mistaken for things. And she's like, why? And she starts sniffing the air and she smells it too. And she looks over to her son and she goes, hey, do you smell that? And he starts sniffing the air. So the three of us are sitting there in the dark. We're sniffing the air. And the caretaker who's seated like, ah, like 20 feet away, notices. And he's like, what's, what's going on? We're like, we smell like a perfume. And he takes a moment and he sniffs the air. And he goes, oh, that's the air freshener. It's on a timer, the automatic air freshener. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, so we all have a big laugh. Ha ha. <laughs> and so we, we finished that session or whatever it was and nothing else happens and we walk the rest of the thing and spend we probably were probably there for four or five hours i mean they've set up cameras they set up most maybe motion detectors recorders audio recorders and the rest of the night passes without incident i probably leave at like two and i go home and they're like cool well like nothing uh, you know like nothing really happened but we, you know we'll review all the evidence and you that's when we find stuff so uh, we'll be in touch in a few days when we when we see what we have. And so a couple of days pass and I get back to the office and they're like, oh, how'd your ghost story go? And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And in a couple of days they call me and they're like, hey, we've got, we've got some stuff we want to show you. Uh, so come check it out. And so I go over and they have everything kind of set up, not really, but kind of set up in stations. They're like, we've got, we've got three groups of things we want to show you. And the first thing is they show me a bunch of digital photographs they've got that show a lot of these like orbs. I don't know if you've seen those on like the ghost hunting shows. They're like these kind of just round images that could be anything like people, I guess, posit that it could be like light from a flash bouncing off of dust particles. I don't know. But some people are like, oh, they're spectral. And they're these big, there's just these big, these big orbs in, in, in a number of pictures. And I'm like, okay. Okay, yeah, like, sure, I, yeah, um, cool, whatever. But they're like orbs, and they're not, you know, it's not too impressive, necessarily. And they're like, okay, but that's not all we have. And they bring me over to the second station, and they've got these videos that they've taken. And in these videos, it's videos of us, right? They, they've set up cameras. And I think in one of them, it's us, I think, in that, the kind of dining area where the stage was. And we're all sitting there. And... This light, like this light, this small light appears in the air and kind of moves. It just moves left to right, laterally, pretty quickly, and then kind of dips down and disappears really quickly. It's like the whole thing is probably less than a second. It just goes and disappears. 
And they show me another video that has something somewhat similar. And I'm like, all right, okay. And I'm like, oh, those things are, that's, I mean, I don't know what that is. I can't explain that. Nothing tremendously conclusive, but okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. And then they take me over to the third station and they're like, this is what we're really interested in. And they play for me two audio recordings. Or they play, no, I think it's on video. They show me video. The first recording is of me and one of the female members of the team. I mean, we're all, we're all walking up these stairs, but on camera are me and this person who's behind me in the dark. It's like kind of infrared. It's, we're talking, like in the video, I'm talking to this person. And at some point, it's hard to make out what we're saying, but at one point, she said, she asked me a question. And I go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And right after I say that, there's a whisper. I go, I don't know, I don't know. And, I, and then there's a whispered voice that says, I know. I know. There's a whisper. I know. It's pretty clear. Like, I didn't say it. She didn't say it. And they show me another one where there's another whispered voice. And they said they thought it said, Dear Lord, I don't quite, I couldn't make that out, but it was, I definitely heard a voice. But I'm sitting there thinking, like, they've had all this equipment for, like, three days. They very easily could have doctored it, or they could have, like... Someone, while they were carrying the camera, could have whispered, could lent, lean down to the camera, whispered it, whatever. So right before I leave, I go, man, that's really cool. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I hate to ask this. I, I just kind of have to, like, just wanted you to stay on the record. You didn't doctor that footage, right? Like, none of that. And they're like, no, of course not. And I was like, no, no, I know. I just, I just wanted to, you know, just get it on the record. And I leave, and I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about it, formulating it, kind of trying to see what story I'm going to write. And then I, as I'm driving, I, my mind kind of stops for a second and I go, oh, and I remember, before I started, I, I, t I had a digital recorder that I used to, to conduct interviews. And I started it and put it in my pocket and left it running the entire, the entire night. I either had it in my pocket or I was holding it, recording the whole thing. And I realized as I'm driving that that recorder is in my bag right next to me in the passenger seat at, the, at that very moment. And I pull over to the side of the road, take my bag, unzip it, take out the recorder, play, uh, press play, fast forward to those points, and the voices are there. And those voices are there. And I don't know what that means, but... It gave me a, a, a reasonably good ending to the story.
best frequencies forever. Bringing the underground to the foreground. Listening to Shadow Time on BFF.fm. Today we're talking about ghosts. And that song was Ghosts by Ibea. Before that, you heard a story submitted by Brian Villalobos, and there was a song at the beginning and end, which was A Devil Lay Here by Zombie, that's zombie with a Y. And any music in between was composed by me. So we're kind of sitting today in this question of 
what is real, what is not. Is there an afterlife? Is there an energy that gets left behind? Are ghosts real? Do we know? Did Brian experience something that was actually supernatural or that could be explained in some other way? I think the unknown is just a huge part of what is really appealing. I've been reading recently some great pieces about the difference between spooky and scary, and I think what defines spooky so much in a way is the unknown. And scary is like, okay, the danger's here. This is happening. But spooky is like, hmm. Now, our next story kind of freaked me out. (laughs) I will admit. And I've now listened to it multiple times uh, to, to edit it and prepare for the show. But if you can imagine that the story is true, it's also really beautiful and touching in a way. This is Ghost Mom. There was a story in my hometown of a elderly couple driving home from an evening out and they were returning home and as they were pulling around the big bend uh, on Sly Park Boulevard in Pollock Pines. This is uh, up in the Sierra Nevada uh, mountain range where I grew up. They were making this big turn that they had done a million times before and they stopped dead in their tracks because they saw a naked woman. And the woman was, I believe, in the middle of the road and they had to kind of maneuver around her and it was very odd, very unusual. They got a very funny feeling about it. And I believe they they called to the police station and sent some officers up there. And when the officers went to that big curve on a Sly Park Road where they mentioned seeing this woman, there was no one to be seen, but they found a baby shoe small little little shoe uh, belonging to an infant which they thought was odd and one of the officers looked over the side of the road and there was an overturned car it was right right there at that bend and when the officers went down there to investigate there was a child in the back seat of the car a very small little baby that had survived but the the driver the woman in the front seat had passed away. She was clearly dead and had been it had been a couple days actually. The mystery surrounding seeing this naked woman was never solved, but uh, some some people believe that it was her ghost and that this child who survived would have never been found had the spirit of his mother not caused a scene. So there you go. That's the legend of the the woman. And actually the television program Unsolved Mysteries uh, did a version of the story, which they called the woman in white. They didn't, they didn't uh, have a naked woman, but they, they did, they did keep the elements of the story the same. So you can watch that episode and uh, they've, uh, captured the story now for for all generations to enjoy.
I'm beside you I am beside you I am beside you I am beside you Look for me Look for me Beside you, look for me. I try to forget to remember Nothing is something Where something is meant to be I am beside you I am beside you Look for me Look for me I'll think they Well, they've gathered here for me I am within you You To be free I think they're singing to be free I think my friends have gathered here for me I think they've gathered here for me To be beside me
the shadow time on bff.fm it is ghost week <laughs> that makes me feel like i'm i'm doing like great british bake off or something and this week is ghost week um only haunted desserts that was kate lebon with remembering me and before that was nick cave Ghostine Speaks from Ghostine. I'm just really feeling excited and grateful to the people that sent in ghost stories, and I'm having a really good time sharing them with you. So thank you for listening, and I hope you're not too scared. I hope you're the right amount of scared and the right amount of curious and unsettled, but interested in all the things that I, I hope that this um, this week's broadcast can can evoke in you. We have another ghost story um, that I am really excited to share from Elizabeth and I am not gonna say much more about it. I just think it's really really lovely and moving. My name is Elizabeth Anathan. My family has a long history out on Nantucket Island, which is a place that is well known for having ghosts. The history of the island, uh, as far as white settlers go, goes back to the 1600s with Quakers and whaling captains and pretty much everybody I know who spent any amount of meaningful time there has some story, especially those who have spent time in some of the older homes. There are houses dating back literally to the, you know, the 16, 17, 1800s. My grandparents purchased the home that would become their retirement home back in the 1950s, and it was a salt box beach cottage up on stilts facing the harbor. Over the years, they, they really made it into uh, a lovely small home and retired there in the 70s. My grandfather, unfortunately, passed in the early 1980s uh, from cancer at a relatively young age. He was only 68 when he, when he passed. Uh, my grandmother continued to live there until she passed in 2007 at the age of 89. She lived a long time in that house by herself. She never once dated after my grandfather passed, never even entertained the thought, and she lived on island year-round, which, especially over the, the winter months, can be dark and cold, and, you know, when nights are long. But she loved it, and we could never convince her to, to move to the mainland. After she passed, my mother and I spent, I think, a couple of weeks cleaning out the house. And both of us just really didn't like being in the house alone. And it wasn't that there was a creepy bad feeling, but I remember being in there and just feeling like, I'm not alone here. <laughs> like, there's somebody else in the room, and it's obviously you know, empty. It was just a sort of an, an off-putting feeling being in the house. Uh, 
alone. You know, so we would always try to be in the house together. After my grandmother passed and we were settling her estate, we decided to rent the house out during the summers to tenants. And and we rented for, you know, four weeks at a time. So we had uh, a tenant who would come in July, a tenant who would come in August, and one tenant who would come for all of September and October. For eight or nine years, we rented her house out this way. After the first couple of years, we started to hear reports um, individually from from each of these tenants, none of whom know each other, about just sort of some odd stuff happening in the house. I mean, it was mostly like pranks, right? Like they would put the candles out on the dining room table to have a dinner party, and the next day they would wake up and all of the candles would be rolled up in a napkin on the sideboard. Or... There was a door to a closet in the master bathroom that no matter what the person did to to close it the night before uh, would be open the next morning. And this included, you know, double latching and putting a rug rolled up at the bottom of it. And the next morning, all of these things were undone and removed and the door was open. The scariest one was probably the tenant who put a pot of water on the electric stovetop and turned around to find it boiling while the electric stovetop was completely off. But for the most part, these were kind of funny little things that would happen, like somebody was kind of playing jokes on you, but nothing serious. And in fact, the tenants actually found it kind of charming and would um, talk out loud to, to you know whoever it was that was there, acknowledging their presence. So... You know, we sort of knew what was going on, but but didn't really feel the need to, to do anything about it. Fast forward to the last winter that we spent in that house. We went for Thanksgiving, and on the property there was a second house, and, and uh, my parents stayed in, in the second house, and my Husband at the time and I stayed in what was my grandparents' house and slept in the master bedroom. In the bathroom of the master bedroom, there was an old-fashioned phone. I mean, a phone that dated back to, I think, the 1930s. And it was, it was one of those where you, you talked into a cone and you held uh, the earpiece up to your ear. You would basically get connected to a receptionist who would then patch you through to whoever it was you wanted to call. And believe it or not, this phone was actually hooked up to the phone line. You obviously couldn't dial on it, but if if the, the landline in the house rang, then this phone would ring too, and you could actually answer it. And the reception was not great. It sounded like you were talking to somebody down a tube. It was very tinny, but you <laughs> you could answer it, and it functioned. It gave off this sort of charming ring, which is, I think, why my grandmother kept it in in the house for all those years. So the night before Thanksgiving, I'm sound asleep in the bed, and about three in the morning, that phone starts ringing. And that phone alone. So the antique phone in the bathroom starts ringing. I'm lying in bed, and I'm actually looking at a phone hooked up to the landline next to my face. It's about six inches away from my face. And it's it's not ringing. No other phone in the house is ringing, just that 
one phone, which mechanically is impossible. It also rings, you know, the, the, the phones are set to ring four times. Well, it's, it keeps ringing well beyond four times. I, I, I didn't actually count how many times it rang, but it, it rang for at least a minute and a half. And I was pretty paralyzed. I just, it, I, didn't, I didn't move. It was absolutely as dark as dark could be. And my husband at the time didn't seem to be acknowledging that any noise was being made. So I was really very scared and sort of thought like, you know, this is the part in horror movies where the stupid blonde lady gets gets bludgeoned to death because she she gets up and goes to answer the phone. And then that's when the murderer comes out from behind the shower curtain and and kills you. So I stayed I, I stayed in in bed and I didn't do anything about the phone ringing. So the next morning, I go over to my my parents' house where they were staying, and I told them what happened, thinking that they would be kind of shocked and surprised. And they looked at me and they said, well, you know, without asking anything else, I said, well, did, did you get up to answer the phone? And I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, you're not surprised by this? And, and they said, well, yeah, that, that's one of the things that some of the tenants had told us happens from, from time to time. That's, you know, the, the, the ghost in the house seems to like to ring that phone when... <laughs> when people are there. Back in San Francisco, I told that story to a friend of mine who, long story short, is a bit of a medium. And he decided to try to help figure out what's going on in the house. And I was like, we're in San Francisco. The house is in Nantucket. How, how do we do this remotely? And he's like, don't worry about it. We can, I can do it. So we did this sort of series of exercises uh, which were kind of hilarious. They involved cue cards. But we did this series of exercises. It, a lot of it sort of was like energy. Like, does this feel different to this? It felt like a game of you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. And after a while, he he turns to me and he says, you guys all seem to think that this ghost is your grandmother. And I, I said, yeah, you know, it kind of makes sense. This all started happening after she passed. And he said, I'm not getting that. And he said, tell me about your grandfather. And I said, well, he passed in the early 1980s. And he's like, well, tell me about him. I said, well, I just remember he was very funny. He had a great sense of humor, very deadpan. And he loved to play with my sister and I. He would put chocolate milk on our cereal. He was just a really fun-loving, sort of very warm person. And he would just make us all laugh all the time. And he said, yeah, it's, it's your grandfather, and he's been there pretty much the whole time, and he's been keeping your grandma company all these years.
My medium friend did uh, some exercises and quote-unquote cleared the house, and all of that stopped. All the pranks stopped, and we sold the house a year or so later, and it's, it's since been torn down. This is Shadow Time on BFF.fm, and we're hearing ghost stories today. Our last ghost story comes from Babette Dunkelgrün, and this one is a little bit of a different angle on the concept of a ghost, but one many of us may be familiar with. We met in Marin County, even though I live in Berkeley and he's from near Ocean Beach. I need to be up in Sausalito this week and wanted to catch a coastal sunset. Wanna join? This passed for an invitation in dating app speak. He was my age, 36, had a kind smile, and he did offer to bring wine. Since I'd planned to start dog sitting in Mill Valley that weekend, it worked out. I'll be the brunette with the golden doodle, I typed. He pulled up in the spot next to mine at Rodeo, and we launched into easy conversation. We settled in on our jackets, and my temporary doodle plopped down in between us. She was warming up to him, too even a little faster than I was. Our silences had a natural rhythm as we alternated, looking at the setting sun and asking questions. Do you have a dog, I asked? No, but I have shared custody of a cat. That's probably a good time to tell you I'm divorced. As a born and socialized empath, I was already hooked. His blend of vulnerability and trauma was still enticing, no matter that I'd been trying to unlearn my pattern since my mid-twenties. The difference was that now, I made sure not to linger on the topic. That was something. Back at the house, my borrowed dog warming my feet, I saw his text appear, thanking me for the evening. Sunday morning, another text came in. Wanna meet for dinner? The following Saturday, I showed up at his place, empty-handed, dogless. I'd let him take care of everything, the food, the drinks, the music, on a record player he'd mentioned. He prepared organic asparagus and cod that he dipped in crushed pistachios. I was pretty impressed. Our bodies moved around the kitchen, aware of each other. Our post-lockdown chemistry had more space in the intimacy of his home. So we spent the rest of the night kissing and teasing each other. As a writer, I joked that the lack of grammar in his texts underwhelmed me. As a tech bro, he said memes were more his speed. There were a couple of moments where he used his tongue-in-cheek tone to ask whether we should speed up the makeout session. Should we just get naked? I laughed at the first and ignored the second question, heading home around midnight. Tonight has been lovely, he whispered when he'd walked me to my car. Our weekly dates continued like this for the next month or two. Sweet, warm, funny, with what I started to realize was a nice opportunity for me to try taking my time as a way to listen to myself rather than what some magazine or book told me to do. And then from one day to the next, he vanished. My friends were supportive when he disappeared. Their consensus was that ghosting was never normal, but especially not after six to eight weeks. Welcome to the club, a friend said. Her ex had broken a years-long relationship without so much as a polite goodbye. Over time, I started to ask myself what I could learn from the ghost. Maybe he'd showed up 
as a reflection? Maybe I was really ghosting myself. At first I'd look back and replay the tape wondering what I'd missed. But then I could see all the points where it wasn't so much something that I'd missed, but more so me ignoring my body, the instincts that one talks about when they say gut feeling. Those underwhelming text messages, last minute dates, recent traumas of unprocessed divorces, a pushiness when it comes to taking our clothes off. What was really so attractive here anyway? Moving forward, I vowed to take a deep breath, doing everything I could to avoid ghosting, especially the kind of ghosts that I'd be able to locate when looking in the mirror. So don't invite me to your wedding. You didn't invite me to your funeral. So I'm not gonna be on time. You didn't invite me to your funeral. So don't invite me to your wedding Yeah, you didn't invite me to your funeral So I'm not gonna be on time Listen on some sauce, and I'm gonna talk Every invite that I come across And I'ma fight this shit like a underboss Yeah, yeah, some get up there But they won't grow Heartbroken, I don't know You can ask me if I'm gon' go But I recommend that you don't go And I don't care who gon' be there You can save that shit for a single man But sitting here in my studio Elbows deep in the Pringles can Yeah, instincts say run wrong from you I'd be so uncomfortable Everything's so combustible I don't even know one hustle I'm not gonna front from forgive no subterfuge. Why can't play bomb bomb shoe? And I'm trying to write a dumb something new. Yeah, yeah, this must be some kind of joke. Saw that big dumb envelope. Might have looked like maybe I was down. I had my foot on the ropes. Yeah, I was blanking in, thought I was down. Now thank you, kid. When you brought it up, I was blanking in, thought I was down. Now thank you, kid. Yeah, got a limited time on earth. So what's your sideshow worth? I watch your slideshow first. Yeah, I'm bogus, I'm Joe Dirt. Yeah, yeah, after all, let's play some tag or basketball. If it's college shirts or slides involved, y'all can keep the dress code, that's for y'all. Then we go to mine. I ain't know you then, ain't known you long, ain't no new friend. Yeah, we all get it. You go with him and you go with her. So let's smoke some herbs and let's order chicken and baked potatoes. Smoke the weed and just play some Halo. Please, oh, please don't make me fake, bro. I say all this because I hate to say no. Hate to say no. So don't invite me to your wedding You have been listening to Shadow Time on BFF.fm Ghost Special for the final installment of Halloween I hope whatever plans you have or don't have for Halloween weekend are um just just have like a little touch of spookiness or a ton of spookiness if that's what you want um that song was Wedding Ghosts by Open Mike Eagle and before that you heard the final ghost story of the day thank you again if you submitted a ghost story, thank you again for listening to BFF.fm and to this show and joining me in this spooky exploration. We're going to close out 
with one of my favorite ghost songs. This is The Ghost by Efterclaim. Look out. 